This talk was given to a group of people sitting in silence during a meditation retreat. It is intended for a mind that is quiet and attentive. We invite you to enter into your own mini-retreat by sitting quietly and listening wholeheartedly. The teachings you are about to receive were freely offered. If you would like to make a donation to support their continuation, please visit us at dharmaseed.org. I was just speaking with Anushka for a few moments and being reminded of all the input that you've had today. You know, you've been introduced to two new practices, the working with the neutral person and the mudita, and then this morning some more uh, with a friend. It's a lot, a lot you've been working with. So I'm saying that because, just to let you know, I probably won't talk a long time tonight because I really respect and appreciate the silence and the opportunity for you to practice. So we'll see how it goes in terms of the talk tonight. I want to begin with uh, reading this uh, short piece that was on the front page of uh, the San Francisco Chronicle. And I received this through all those wonderful things that go through the internet, you know, how Uh, So many things come in, but I wonder how many people actually read them, you know, but I do because there's often a lot of really good stuff in there. So this one came through and uh, it starts off saying, if you read the front page story of the San Francisco Chronicle, you would have read about a female humpback whale who had become entangled in a spider web of crab traps and lines. She was weighted down by hundreds of pounds of traps that caused her to struggle to stay afloat. She also had hundreds of yards of line rope wrapped around her body, her tail, her torso, a line tugging in her mouth. A fisherman spotted her just east of the Farallone Islands, just outside the Golden Gate Bridge, and radioed an environmental group in for help. Within a few hours, the rescue team arrived and determined that she was so bad off, the only way to save her was to dive in and untangle her, a very dangerous proposition. One slap of the tail could kill a rescuer. They worked for hours with curved knives and eventually freed her. When she was free, the divers say she swam in what seemed like joyous circles. She then came back to each and every diver one at a time, and nudged them, pushed, pushed them gently around as she thanked them. She, some said it was the most incredibly beautiful experience of their lives. The guy who cut the rope out of her mouth says her eye was following him the whole time, and he will never be the same. I was really touched by this story. You know, just both the deep care and deep compassion that these people had, the ones who called in for help and also the ones who actually risked their lives to save this whale. And then the expression of appreciation and joy and love 
for the f- being freed, for being freed, for, for, for being freed from the entanglement. And, and I think what touched me when I read it was that we feel the same. It's like we want to be free from our entanglement. We might, we could relate, and I know I related to this whale being so bound and tethered and, and weighted down by certain causes and conditions, in this case, likely uh, out, out of this uh, whale's control. But oftentimes we're weighted down so much by our own, uh, our own uh, unconscious way we relate to ourselves and, and others, and we feel the entanglement. And we have this longing to be free. And when we're free, there's moments when we feel this freedom. There's moments when you've had this freedom here over these days. There's this joyous expression of happiness. Ah, at last, you know, is that, that big outbreath of that sense of freedom. And we long for this. We long to be free. We, as we've been saying, all beings want this freedom. All beings want happiness. Happiness and freedom are, are so much uh, correlated here. What brings happiness is the sense of freedom. And so more and more we get in touch with this longing for our freedom. When we look more deeply at what's really motivating us, what pulls us, what moves us, I think that's what we're going to get in touch with. I was very touched by James' uh, interaction with the woman this morning around her expression of the anger and frustration for her heart being uh, confined in the way that it was. And many people also, I know, were moved by it. Some people mentioned it to me today in the interview about how much they were moved by that and appreciated that dialogue. And one of the things that I was touched by was the report that by being in connection with the anger was good. It felt good to feel that, to feel the frustration, to feel the anger. And, of course, James went further, and she got in touch with that deep longing for her, for the freedom, for the liberation of the heart. But that piece, I think, got, got covered over just a bit about the, about the uh, liking of the connection with the anger. And I want to point that out because I think any connection, any kind of deep connection that we have with ourselves brings a kind of joy brings a kind of sweetness, even if we're connecting in the midst of something difficult. It's the, it's the contact itself with our being, with ourselves, in a, a whole way, in a conscious way, with that tenderness, with that love, uh, without the conflict, without the resistance. There's a way we can feel the sweetness through the contact. And so through our, our, the practices we do, the Vipassana practices, and here the metta practice and the other Brahma Viharas, we're really encouraging this contact. We're encouraging this connection 
with ourselves because this is where we begin to experience the happiness. This is where we experience the contentment is through the contact with what's real, what's true, what's, what is, rather than the ways that we can become disconnected and cut off and unconscious, separated from what's here and now, what's real. And then we separate from the sweetness. We separate from the love. We separate from the joy. We, we separate from all the aspects, all the qualities of our, of our being, of our, of our nature. So through that connection with whatever is there, we start to feel that which we are longing for. But we may not understand that because we think there's something deeper, there's something more, there's something it's not enough. And on one level, that's okay because we want to keep going so that we can really know what's possible for us as human beings, for our human consciousness. And yet we don't want to have that, it's not enough, I've got to get more, it's, we, we, we've got to go deeper because we are thinking that what's happening isn't enough, isn't good enough. And we miss, we miss the sweetness or the love that's coming through, that, that perfume or the smell of that metta, that love. There's all kinds of words we can use for that, that starts to come through. So connecting with this sincere motivation, connecting with what keeps us here. When I'm teaching a retreat and I'm working with people on a retreat and people are going through a difficult time, it often goes through my mind, what keeps people here? Why do people keep going through this? <laughs> All this pain and this struggle and you know, agitation and you know, this pain of the, in the body and pain in the mind and you know we, we what keeps us here but we stay here you know the doors aren't locked we don't lock the gate at night <laughs> you're not imprisoned here anybody can walk out at any time you know some people do it's usually not out of that harumph i've got to get out of here you know there's some more you know, reflection and connection with the process around it. And sometimes it's absolutely right. But yet we stay here. And maybe can take a moment right now, I invite you to take a moment and just perhaps sense into what that is. Why do you stay here? Maybe you, maybe you say, oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy or something, you know? But whatever comes up, just taking a moment and kind of feeling into that. Because my sense is it has something to do with this deep caring at the deepest level of our being, which is a natural response to life as a human being, this longing to awaken to awaken the heart, to awaken the mind. And many times people are not connected to that, to that desire, to that wanting. And it stays hidden, it stays buried, and the unconscious patterns act out. And there really isn't the possibility for that transformation. Sometimes it pops through kind of spontaneously 
unbeknownst to us how it happens, but sometimes it just stays buried. But for those of some of, for most of you, I would imagine that there's something really alive inside. And some of you may even be able to feel it very acutely, which I sometimes, in my, for myself, I feel it as a kind of flame, a fire. It's like there's a fire burning for awakening, a fire burning in my heart, a flame in my heart to, for my heart to be liberated, my mind and my heart. And I think I mentioned on the first night, for me, the mind and the heart are actually the same because when the mind is free, the, the mind drops into the heart. There really isn't so, so much sense of the mind up here and the heart up here. There's more of a full expression of that, that, that uh, awake, conscious uh, way of being in the world that moves more from the whole part of ourselves. So I can feel that, that flame. And maybe some of you can too, this, this longing, this sense of, uh, sometimes it comes through a sense of urgency, this desire, this wanting. And I know for myself for a long time, I um, thought this wanting wasn't okay because you know you hear the, the Four Noble Truths and the Second Noble Truth is, you know, wanting is the cause of all suffering and we're supposed to quelch the wanting. And sometimes when it's not really understood very well, we can confuse what the Buddha is actually talking about as what gives rise to suffering with these desires that are actually leading for the freedom from suffering. suffering. So what the Buddha is talking about is what's called the tanha in Pali. Tanha, it's a grasping with uh, self-interest, what's in it for me, a very narrow-minded, self-interested way of viewing the world. It's a very constricted, narrow, I want that because it's going to make me happy and fulfilled. It's usually directed at objects and things and situations, something outside of ourselves. And yet there's this other wanting this wanting that is really connected deeply in the heart. We call it an unwholesome, the tanha is an unwholesome desire. This is that which moves from the heart is a wholesome desire. This is one of the ways we talk about it, this wholesome longing for that which is good, for that which is whole, for that which is in, uh, in harmony and in love and connecting, that which brings an end to the separation, to the suffering. This is, a, this is a kind of wanting, a longing that uh, James was, was talking about in the dialogue. This is the kind of wanting that we want to fuel. We want to feel that, the heat of that. One of my teachers uh, from the Diamond Heart School, Karen Johnson, uh, said this. She said, this longing is the beginning of a heart song. We need to listen to what it's longing for. This longing is the heart's homesickness. If we follow it, we'll find ourselves at a fountain, the fountain of our true nature. If we follow it, we'll find ourselves at a fountain. And I love the metaphor of the fountain because it's very fresh and refreshing and and fluid and flowing and cool, 
This is a sense of this liberated heart that we're longing for. So this what keeps you here? You know, do, you, do you have any sense of that for yourself? I remember um, when I was just walking outside before the talk, I was remembering um, my first retreat, my first weekend retreat um, that I sat uh, almost 30 years ago with James. <laughs> I think James tells this story sometimes too. And um, James and I wound up in San Francisco at the same time when he was starting to teach. And uh, I happened on one of his uh, weekend retreats, which was my very first retreat. And uh, I was asking myself this question probably through the entire retreat. What am I doing here? Why am I here? What is this all about? I had no real understanding of why I was there. There wasn't a the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma, hadn't really come that strongly to the West at that point, so we didn't have kind of this whole momentum of understanding that we have now for most of us. And um, by it started on a Friday night, you know, it was over on a Sunday afternoon, and by the, by su- Saturday afternoon, I was about to have a nervous breakdown, <laughs> you know, and I didn't think I could stand it for another moment, and uh, really was in a complete knot. And uh, you know, very lot of pain, emotional pain, confusion, and uh, went to James. He was sitting there smiling. <laughs> I remember so well. <laughs> went to James, and even though James was a fairly new teacher, he was a very good teacher. And he just said, um, "I was not Sharda at that time, by the way." And some of you probably may know that my uh, birth name is Henrietta. Maybe you don't know. But in those days, so it was Henry, Henry. Uh, James called me Henry. And <laughs> so he said, Henry, <laughs> just relax. <laughs> You're getting too wound up here, you know. <laughs> it's not all that serious. <laughs> Take a walk, go for a walk. Go down the road, just look at the flowers, look at the trees, look at the birds, just let it all go. No, and I did that, and it worked. I was getting way, way, way too serious, (laughs) thinking it all meant far too much than it did, or that I had to get somewhere, make something happen. And as soon as I relaxed, then I started coming back into myself again. I started, you know, feeling that the sweetness again that started to come through. I think it was also on, on that retreat, and the memories sometimes are very strong, and I can't remember very much these days, but I, cert- I, <laughs> I remember this, um, that I, I remember thinking that if I went into the bathroom and closed the door, I could get away. <laughs> Do you ever have that kind of feeling? I think I know I did when I was in elementary school too. You know, you could go in the bathroom and play hooky, and then you know the school was all kind of put aside, and you could just kind of pretend that you're somewhere else. Well, I remember going into the bathroom and closing the door and thinking, like, ah, you know, at least I'm you know away from that meditation for a little bit. And then, of course, what's the next insight? I haven't got away from anything. (laughs) I'm still here. 
<laughs> and it was actually my own self and my own mind that I wanted to get away from. And there was no getting away. And, you know, that kind of revelation where there's no, truly when we're awake, when we're conscious, there's no escape. We can't, because all we want to escape from is our own mind. You know, the, the pain and the negativity in our own mind and our inability to, to cope with what's going on. And sometimes it's really, really, really hard. But through the practices, we begin to learn how to actually accommodate. Uh, one person was talking about bearing and tolerating the difficult experiences. This is what we learn. So I think even after that weekend was over, I still was asking myself, why would I want to go back? Why would I want to do that again? It was the hardest, most challenging thing I ever did. And I didn't even really know what my motivation was, but I found myself going back. It was just sort of this something was pulling me. Some kind of energy was just pulling me back. This something, something was woken up in my heart something that I knew, something that I wanted, and I just was flowing back to the source. In this, ca- in this case, uh, James's uh, sitting group and his classes and helping him uh, uh, organize and lead retreats, uh, cooking at his retreats and supporting him. And it was all kind of starting you know, in those days, and I, I couldn't turn away. I couldn't turn away. And so sometimes that's what happens. We can't turn away. And even though we might really want to, you know, it's like, please let me out. You know, there's got to be some way out. We can't really turn away. Once our, once our heart starts to open and we start to feel that sense of, of freedom, something, something that's speaking to us. So usually when we start to feel that connection and that caring, that, that something that's calling us, that's pulling us, it takes us deeper into the practice. And we can find ourselves doing the practices, the meditations, the metta, getting more involved as you have here, coming to the metta retreat, expanding your practice here, um, all the different uh, Brahma-viharas, we, we start to fill out, and this helps us reconnect more and deepen more with what we feel is true, what we feel is important. And this, is, this helps us begin to touch that which we know is the truest and the most precious thing in the world. Sometimes, though, this this awakening or this kind of knowing can happen spontaneously. It may not happen through practices or the accumulation of practices, but there may just be an experience that happens, maybe an instant where something opens for us. And I had a a kind of experience like that when I was 19 years old. And it was also an experience that, that is very strong in my memory. I was in college at the time. I was a sophomore in college, and I was again, you know, really, really struggling. You know, being a teenager and coming you know, first time being out in the world, away from home, and you know all the things that uh, a, a lot of teenagers go through. 
And I was, um, I could say I was suffering on a pretty constant basis, you know. And I remember one time uh, going home for a spring break, and um, we had a nice backyard, and I was lying down on a, on a lounge chair in the backyard, just kind of, just trying to clear my head for a moment. And I remember this moment where all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't suffering. There was just a moment of actual awareness, kind of recognition that, wait a minute, my mind is actually quite at ease now. My, my heart's at peace. And I remember kind of being a little startled, a little uh, unsure of what was happening. It was a, such an unusual experience. And I remember just resting into that and feeling the pleasure, really feeling this pleasure that I had never felt in that way up until that moment, a very conscious kind of sinking into this pleasure. And what I understand is that there was actually a break in the momentum of what I thought was so solid in that suffering. There was a moment that showed me that the suffering was not solid, that there was something else that was possible for my consciousness, for my being. And because I was only 19, I I actually had this kind of reflection that something had shifted and uh, just just soaked into it. It was probably a half an hour or so. It was like like my first meditation without knowing I was meditating where there was no intrusion of any other kinds of thoughts. And then, of course, because I wasn't that stable in that insight and understanding, it closed up again. But that never went away. The the memory, the knowing, the insight never went away. And what I understand is when now is when those moments are recognized, these moments where we really do open our mind, we open our heart, and there is this break in this momentum of the greed, hatred, delusion, and all the, the, the problems of the past and the problems of the future, when all of that breaks and drops away, and we consciously know that and touch that, that that actually goes into a kind of cellular memory where then it's easier for us to return back to it again. It's like we can find our way more easily because we already have woken that up in our consciousness. And the more that we do that, the more that we have these recognizable conscious moments where we know that we are not caught in the, the defilements, the calaisis, the, the, the these negative and difficult patterns of mind, and we rest and we settle, this gives us the opportunity to be there more of the time because we remember. We remember. And this is what happens in our pra- when we do these practices, is we're actually inviting and encouraging those moments, as you're doing here on the retreat, by returning back to this quality of metta, or this compassion, or this joy that we've looked at now. When you return back, you remember because it's an expression of your natural heart. It's not just some whim. It's not just sort of like you had a, a lucky moment, you know, or so, it's not random. But there are certain causes and conditions that came together 
from past uh, conditioning that gave rise to this moment, momentary freedom, this momentary liberation of the heart, which is real, which is connected, which is an expression of your nature in its most essential state. It's a, it's a, f- a flavor, it's a, a perfume, a smell of that. And so we, we want to invite this when we, when we start to understand what it is that we're actually doing, we, 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 we call on these practices or we, we bring consciousness to the moment and what's happening so that we can begin to recognize and discriminate the differences between the times that we're actually really bound up and so lost and unable to be released from it and the moments when we are. And usually, even if there's some, even if we're bound up, like in the conversation this morning, even if there's the anger and the frustration, there can still be the sweetness of the connection, which is that perfume of the liberated heart that's coming through. It's already starting to support us and to inform us in that way. And we do it again and again and again. And our foundation, our base, our our uh, support gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So we return there. We, we start to live there more of the time. So these, every, these moments are very important. These moments where we actually bring this consciousness, a conscious attention to what's happening when we feel the heart when we're touching the metta as you have, so many have, when you feel the sensations in your heart. One man today I was speaking with when he was really feeling the, he was feeling a lot of mudita, actually, that was pouring out. And I said, how does it feel? How do you, what do you feel around your heart? And he said, it feels really warm. I said, well, just feel that. Feel how warm it feels. And as he felt it, you know, just letting that kind of ground and become more real and, and more connected. And it's, it goes into the memory in that way as we really make this conscious, these wholesome um, uh, expressions of our being. In these moments, there is the absence of ill will, the absence of, of, of worry and regret, the absence of the, of the uh, uh, attachment to the past and the attachment to the future. It may not be a complete absence. There may still be, and there probably is, still momentum of that moving through the conditioning. But when we feel that conscious awareness, sweetness that is present there, it means already there is a way it's not impacting consciousness in the same way. There's a way we are released from the grasping, from the tanha, from the identification, from the way the self can take on this uh, a feeling of being so strong and uh, intensified. There's some, some more lightness of being, more ease of being, more um, uh, a fluidity in ourselves. We don't feel so, so pulled down and stuck. This is the, the release. We begin to feel the release of the past, 
the release of these tethers, of these, these uh, bind, the way we feel so bound in ourself. Our mind is usually so focused on problems that it can't relax because there's always the next problem. I was talking to my, uh, I actually got a message on my voicemail from uh, my mother today, and uh, her condominium was uh, hurt in the Hurricane Wilma. She lives in around Fort Lauderdale a year and a half ago, and they're doing repairs now on the roof, uh, and uh, she's had to be outside of her condo, uh, live outside of her condo for about the last two, uh, six weeks. So she w- went back today, and she was on the phone at the house, at her condo, and they were drilling on top of the uh, roof and all this noise, and she was just frantic because there was dust everywhere and holes in the ceilings and everything was a mess. And, you know, I could just hear that the voice of every, you know, the suffering, everything's a problem, and there's no release from this, and it's always the next thing, and I'll never get beyond it, and this complete kind of sense of being caught. And the pain and the suffering of that, no release of that. And knowing, you know, for myself, knowing the possibility of some release, you know, I want to call her and say, it'll all be okay, you know, just it'll take time. It'll take time. But from that mind state, you know, not really being able to hear, not really being able to listen because there's not a lot of space, there's so much agitation and worry. So, so this we know this kind of mind state and this wanting to be released from this, some release from this. And yet you know sometimes that feeling when, ah, okay, I can let it go. And then the mind settles and the mind stills and we feel some refreshment from it. We get refreshed again from the connection with these qualities of our heart from our, the, the heart that's free, the heart that's not so bound up in all of this. And we feel the pleasure. We feel the pleasure, the sweetness, as we let go, as we get released. And when the mind lets go like this, this is act- there's, an ener- there's energy that gets freed up with the energy that was so bound up in the contraction of the, of the, of the worry and the, the regret and all the, the concern of the past and the future, we begin to free up all that energy. And when it's not bound up, we say this is a kind of purified energy. This energy is purified. It's purified from the greed and and the hatred and the delusion and the fear and the confusion and all of that. And when that is freed up, when that energy is freed up, it's not like there's then nothing there. There is something there. We can feel that. In a way, we can perhaps feel it as this purified energy, an energy that actually wants to take expression in some way. When the Buddha talks about this, the Buddha says, when the defilements are released, when the greed, hatred, and delusion is released, the mind is filled with non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And another way of saying that is non-greed is uh, letting go or renunciation. 
So the mind is filled with renunciation, kind of a free, free-flowing renunciation. The mind is filled with non-hatred. When we say the mind is filled with non-hatred, that is metta. That is the, the purified energy of metta, the absence of the hatred. And when the mind is filled with non-delusion or non-confusion, the mind is filled with wisdom. When we're not confused, it's filled with the expression of wisdom. So there's the energy moving of renunciation, of metta, of wisdom, and this wants to take expression. And this energy can have the feel of desire because it, that, that energy wants to move towards something, take some kind of expression, some kind of, it wants some kind of um, a meaning to be used in some way. It can feel like desire, actually. This energy, as it moves, can feel like desire. We might feel it as wanting all beings to be happy. As we free up this metta, we, we want this. We want all beings to be happy. We care. That caring comes through this purified energy. We want all beings to be alleviated from pain. And so there's a movement of this energy to want to help people be free of their pain, to want to to do something so that people will be happy. And this can come through a sense of, of desire, but it's not a desire that's bound up in how it's going to make me look or make me feel or about my pleasure and about my experience, but it's, it's a movement of truly wanting to to connect and help and meet and alleviate pain and bring happiness. And this arises from our goodness, the goodness of our being, the goodness of our heart, a natural movement of the heart and an expression of the awakened mind. And since it's not bound up, in confusion and ignorance, this energy has its own wisdom, its own intelligence. It has its own pull, just as when I didn't know why I was going back to the Dharma, why I was going back to meditation. It's like there was an energy that had its own intelligence that wanted to move through me in some way that at that time I could not understand. And it's, in a way, it's not mine. It's not me in the same way that we think about the sense, this small self, but it's something much larger, something that is actually much more connected to a larger whole and in sync with the larger whole. It flows naturally and easily from this natural state. And when it manifests, we feel it as a good feeling. It has this sweetness. It has a blissful quality. It has a joyful quality, an alive quality to it. It's the truest joy which arises out of the truest love, the deepest place in our heart. And I know many of you have been feeling this, reporting this, this kind of feeling that you may, many people have said they've never felt something like this before that which is, is moving through the heart. 
This is sometimes we call this the, ch- a ch- the chanda, the energy, the chanda that is, that is not uh, bound up in greed, hatred, and delusion, the sense of self, ego, mine, me, but this natural movement. And this wholesome state of mind feeds on itself and gains nourishment from its own presence. It's its own food. It feeds itself. And it ta- as it does this, it takes us deeper and deeper into the experience of our awakened and liberated heart. It's this beautiful kind of energy that as we allow it, starts to feed on itself and grow and express itself in so many ways. And as it deepens and even gets the chanda gets stronger, it can manifest as a selfless desire that grows out of love and compassion for all beings to be free of suffering. This is sometimes you, 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 there's this title of Sharon Salzberg's book, The a heart as wide as the world. And it says the, the chanda gets so strong that it gets so enlarged that it can encompass all beings and love and compassion for all beings. Sometimes this is called the bodhisattva attitude, the attitude that wants, when I say I want all of my actions to contribute to the welfare and liberation of all beings, Bodhisattva. And from here, we don't have to have ideas about how we need to act and how we need to speak and how we need to respond, you know, what's right and what's wrong. There's just this this appropriate kind of response to what's needed at the time. Just before I came on the retreat uh, last Friday, I was just doing the last few things at the hardware store in Fairfax, and there was a woman at the counter, who, an older woman, who was very, very, um, she was shaking and she was kind of nervous and I could see she was asking somebody for some directions and she was kind of confused and, and then I saw her walk out and she was walking over to her car and I was walking out at that time and I just saw her, she was very unsteady and very confused and I could see she, she was probably about 70 something and she was getting into her car and I just found myself naturally walking over to her and said, is everything okay? Do you understand where, where you need to go? And she said, no, I don't. She was very, very upset. So she told me where she needed to go. It happened to be within five or ten minutes of where I was going. I said, oh, get in your car and follow me. I'll take you there. And she fo- fo- uh, followed me along and uh, stopped in front of the place where she was going. And she was behind me. And waved at her and made sure she knew that it was the right place, and then I took off. And this is the best feeling, you know? Just this, like, wow, you know? And there wasn't any sense that, you know, I did this, because I didn't even really think much about it. It just sort of happened. I just found myself gravitating to, towards doing that. But it was just, it, I, I was touched by my own goodness. <laughs> <laughs> And perhaps that can happen sometimes, you know? It kind of can bring tears to your eyes. You know, wow, that was a really good thing to do. <laughs> and this is, this is when we're really in connection in that way. We're not so bound up in, oh, I've got you know, only an hour and I've got all this stuff to do. And sort of like, oh, yeah, 
that appropriate response. Someone asked a teacher once what was the, an expression of an enlightened person, and the answer was an appropriate response. It's not mine. This is um, Shantideva, an 8th century Buddhist philosopher. Even when I do things for the sake of others, no sense of amazement or conceit arises. It is just like feeding myself. I hope for nothing in return. Just like feeding myself. It's the energy that feeds on itself and it grows and expands and gets nourished. This is what we're doing. This is how I see it. Sometimes when the beginning of the retreat we talked about these planting seeds of intention and this is it, you know, this returning back to the quality of the natural heart, returning back, returning back, returning back. And yes, it's hard, and yes, it's challenging, and we, we get, get so bound up in so many of our own difficult conditionings, and yet something keeps us going. We keep going, we keep going. And it's so important sometimes just to appreciate that, in ourselves, just appreciate the caring and the sincere motivation that's there. And it's not just a liberation of your own heart. It's the liberation of the one heart because we are not separate, isolated beings. And it is impossible for us to do anything that is not going to have an impact in a very wide way. So we do this work on ourselves and all beings are touched in some way by the sincerity of our motivation. So as part of my practice, I continually make the wish that my practice be for the benefit of all beings, that I am freed from a self-interest so that I don't forget the impact of the power of this practice, that it's for all beings everywhere, and the liberation of the heart. I think I'll end, and I want to end with um, a poem that was written on a metta retreat. by a person named Kenneth Simmons, and, and uh, this person gave me the poem, and it's called Meta Practice at Spirit Rock, <laughs> day six, it's <laughs> 6 a.m. <laughs> Daybreak floats, weightless like, a, like fog at the window. Eight pools of yellow light, like fragranced, touch memory, light warming the air. Sound is reduced to one bird, the rustle now and then of fabric, the creak from time to time of wood invisibly flexing 
and the almost sound of a hundred people, each cloaked in our own tent of beautiful cloth, breathing. Each behind closed eyes polishes a family of beloveds with phrases uttered 10,000 times by the mind, by the heart, by the pores of our skin, like the sound in the seashell or the constant sound of a distant ocean, the sound of breathing, not anybody's breathing, breath itself, breathing love, not anybody's love, love itself, utterly love, breathing. Let's sit for a moment. Not anybody's breathing, breath itself breathing love, not anybody's love, love itself, utterly love, breathing. This talk was given by Sharda Rajel at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on July 17, 2007. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.